Greetings everybody. This is Abhivardhan from the Bharat Pacific. We are here for the 10th roundup of Glocalize. In this roundup, as uh, discussed with Aditya, uh, we will be discussing about Indian foreign policy as it was in the year 2022. Now, if I start counting what actually has have been the achievements or at least the developments in Indian foreign policy in the last year, it could be so much that we might even take eight hours to discuss it. So, since we have a paucity of time, we might only discuss Indian foreign policy in 2022. So, let's divide it from an angle of relevance. So, if we have to make an overview, I would be the last as the host to give any overview if I wish to, or you know, to ask questions on this. But um, let's talk about. you know in in first principle terms you know what india has really achieved in 2022 uh when it comes to its basic principles of foreign policy how it has transformed so let's uh, start with saurabh and then maybe use finest krishnan and abhishek can chime in so saurabh if we have to uh, first of all welcome everybody welcome krishnan welcome use finest welcome abhishek welcome saurabh so to summarize saurabh if or to start in summarization um how would you uh, how would you say the indian foreign policy has been in 2022 when it comes to its transformation so what do you think uh hi everybody and uh, hi everybody else uh i would say that i think 2022 was i think in a, a a big challenge especially given the war in uh, ukraine so russia ukraine war i mean that did test our foreign policy in a way where we had to uh, you know like take a position which was principled according to our interest values which was against the major powers and how we balanced it i think uh, i think almost all major countries uh, understand that that uh, the proposition we take at least at the government level so that is a, a good thing and then obviously the china challenge is always there we had the the taiwan clash as well uh, so uh, i mean i mean that's pretty much i mean those are the two i think big things i would say i mean obviously in terms of economy the fta with australia and ue was significant so i mean yeah and then we can discuss more as uh, we talk, uh, talk more yeah all right um use finest krishnan abhishek anything to add please feel free to they can we can start with use finest yeah um i think to, to me at least there are two um points that really stand out when it comes to foreign policy indian foreign policy in 2022 uh, one is i think we saw minister jay shankar uh, build on uh, i should not say build we saw him deliver a little bit of what he talks about in the india way the book so i i found that particularly interesting because uh, often there is this trend you observe within uh, politicians that they tend to write certain books and you know when it comes to execution it's far removed from what they've written but uh, without going uh, into the specifics of the book i found it really interesting to sort of compare how he handled for example say uh, india's position on china and india's position um on the ukrainian conflict 
as well as uh, balancing that out with the economic side of things so uh, on the economic side of things the two biggest ones were uh, sort of like the pseudo fts i don't know if that would be the right phrase uh, with australia and a pretty significant one with the uae as well as uh, deepening talks with both the uk um, and europe uh, on separate fts uh, that that was one and the second one to me was uh, of the continuation of a more muscular policy with regards to china and this time of course uh, it was in the tawang region sorry not the tawang region in the uh, northeastern region of india in tawang near tawang uh, other than i think these two points sort of broadly covered uh, where india's foreign policy uh, how india's foreign policy trajectory unfolded in 2022 um and the reason i say this is because maybe like 5 6 years from now when we sort of look back this year will be pretty important uh, given how uh, volatile the situation was for a growing power like india which often makes its bread and butter by having to balance through uh, quote unquote partners that are usually trying to reap each other's throats up uh, i think i'll end it there maybe i'll pick it up after someone else says something um krishnan would you like to you know add to the chain yeah yeah uh, can you hear me yes we can i think uh, you can just bring the microphone to the phone near to you a little bit so yeah okay i think this is better this this is better uh, okay. yeah. so uh, in some ways yours finest uh, stole my words on uh, what india's foreign policy has been in 2022 um i see that uh, 2022 has been a year of flux uncertainties and uh, a period of war and a period of war where um, it is not easy for uh, middle powers to choose sides and uh, <clears throat> the conventional uh, expectation from the great powers is for the middle powers to take a side that will solidify their uh, you know their uh, convictions and uh, their standing in the global stage but uh, india quickly recognized that this is not something uh, that is going to be like a quick uh, flux that is going to come end and uh, we will and that something will crystallize out of it so uh, we decided to play this year very deftly um what i see is like if uh, this is just a start of a uh, long period of flux that we will be going through uh, over the next 4 to 5 years or maybe even uh, till the end of this decade uh, hopefully not uh, but if you take it that way uh, if the foreign policy overall foreign policy in the medium term is going to be i mean if the global environment in the medium term is going to be uh, in flux throughout uh then uh, i think uh, if you split it into four or five innings in a test match i think we've come out of the first uh, couple of inni- first couple of sessions uh, really blazing away that's how i see it i think uh, we haven't we approached this year without any uh, pre notions without any presumptions uh, we were open to uh, literally every possibility and we were ruthless and razor sharp focused on our uh, interests so that was uh, really a clarifying moment for us uh, i think uh, 
this is not something that i have seen uh in the recent past like in the past couple of decades uh, very often um what i've seen is that <clears throat> uh the great powers expectation was that uh we would make our positions well known but we did not uh we are delaying it and we are trying to make space for ourselves and that is really frustrating for others but what it has also sent out a message clearly is that uh we are not uh, the the game is never going to be the same as it was before uh, we are going to play a much larger role whether it comes to trade whether it comes to climate change whether it comes to uh you know war russia ukraine war anything so uh we have many more sessions to go but the day one has been an amazing so everyone for handling uh, apologies for joining you all late uh, for some odd reason i forgot to check my reminder so apologies uh i have been told by avyardhan that you all started with a generic uh, discussion on where the trend stands so let's get into some specifics uh, so let's start with your abhishek can you tell us like a gist of where does india stand in east asia when when i say east asia not just china part but like just the whole korean peninsula japan like where did india stand in 2022 and where can it go ahead in 2023 or beyond like the whole uh, basically northeast asia part uh, uh, uh thank you for inviting me for this uh, discussion i think um especially for when we talk about east asia and india's relation i think in 2022 uh we saw uh, some kind of um, outreach from indian side like uh, especially um, uh, especially from the uh, perspective of defense like defense minister visited um, uh, mongolia he even visited uh, japan and uh, that was something which was very interesting because uh, uh, because uh, a kind of india is right now thinking of uh, because of many factors but also i think uh, china is one of them to kind of uh, extend or strengthen its relations with east asian countries and um, uh, a kind of visit by defense minister to mongolia was one of one of that which was very important um, uh, apart from focusing on economics uh, uh, which is also a kind of different uh, stream which is which india foreign policy has tried to uh, kind of focus more in 2022 uh, but i think if you if you see india's relation with east asia um, i think the at least policy is uh, uh, i can say right now working more comprehensively uh, like in a holistic manner where india uh, is kind of not only focusing uh, by only a bilateral relations but also um, kind of factoring the overall international geopolitics and the structural changes which are happening and uh, and in this uh, environment it's very important to also extend relations or send the relations with these east asian countries so that is uh, one thing uh, which is very important but also uh, on aspect of i think which is also important india has also um, a kind of uh, go- gone back gone back on for example on our ft not fts but sepas for example india is right now negotiating uh, renegotiating or kind of looking looking into um, extending the sepa with asean and also with republic of korea uh, so that is also welcome step because uh, traditionally there has been a lot of um, 
concern in India that these uh, SEPAs have not benefited India and because of the trade deficit. So that is also some uh, one welcome step uh, 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 in 2022. Thanks, Abhishek. The reason why I started with East Asia is basically given that Southeast Asia is kind of a swing region in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, I just wanted to know, like, how does how would India East Asia dynamics shape up the pal uh, balance of power dynamics in the Indo-Pacific, specifically uh, given whatever happened in the Taiwan Strait or like uh, the third. Uh, uh, third term leadership of uh, Xi Jinping in China. So, g given all these dynamics, uh, use finest, uh, what did India gain or lose in 2022 in the larger Indo Pacific? And what can we like, what can we do more in 2023? Uh, well, I don't think India gained or lost too much. I think what what happened is there was a continuation of the Indian policy line on China since uh, Galvan has occurred, which is a very muscular, uh, muscular hawkish policy of uh, eye for an eye, if you will. Um, this combined with the fact that our commitment to Quad has remained strong, it has not diluted because uh, I remember previously back in uh, back on the UPA two, there used to be this trend of, uh, or at least this fear that you know India may backtrack very quickly. So. One year we being uh, we are being really committed to something, and the next year that commitment is starting to flag. Uh, that's not happened this time around, um, and it's not been happening for a while now. But I'm just pointing it out because it's important, especially when you've got a power as large as China. But on what there is to gain, there is a lot to gain. Specifically, uh, depending on how expeditionary three powers get in the region, uh, India, America, and Japan, it'll largely come down to these three. Uh, these three. You can sort of view Australia as a fourth one, but I, I'm not really sure uh, how their uh, sea power is sort of building up in the near term, right? Because uh, if you look at this from a security perspective, the three powers that can actually put a pretty severe dent in uh, China's ambitions in Taiwan or just broader expeditionary ambitions uh, is India with the land border, America with its uh, giant uh, naval force, and it's... Uh, quote unquote um best best friend in the region i guess uh, japan which is also now going through a bit of a military renaissance where uh, defense spending has uh, really skyrocketed uh, when you look at when you look at these developments in 2023 what i hope is that the indian side is a little more proactive in um, engaging in uh, either military exercises i know we already have one going on with the japanese but uh, more exercises at a higher tempo, if possible, of course, depending on the logistical strain, uh, would be great to see uh, more engagement to smaller countries within Southeast Asia. I know this is not the easiest because these smaller countries also tend to be at uh, unease whenever a new uh, power comes into the fray and new security um, partnerships start to spring up because they feel very threatened by uh, quote-unquote Chinese retaliation. But at the same time, I believe uh, someone at the Asia Society pointed this out. They also welcome such moves because what it allows them to do is it gives them a China plus one option. So if China becomes a little too overbearing, there is another uh, sort of body to balance them out. So India pushing itself as this uh, alternative in coordination with both the Americans and the Japanese to take on uh, what all three countries see as a much larger problem, which is the uh, Chinese expansionary problem. 
would probably be uh, what I hope uh, we we as a country gain in 2023 in this region. So Abhivardhan, this is to you. Like whatever has uh, Abhishek and Youth Finance has highlighted upon the Indo-Pacific region, can you just extrapolate the points to our own immediate neighborhood? Like, uh, what are the individual dynamics playing out? I reckon 2022 was quite good for India's neighborhood policy, given the unstable situation in Pakistan, uh, given the assistance it's giving to Sri Lanka and trying to win over Sri Lanka again. Uh, Bangladesh and Nepal has been quite muted. I mean, there has been nothing too noisy about those places. I think uh, Myanmar would be the sole sore point, and there is kind of a some kind of revitalization of diplomacy with Taliban happening in Afghanistan. And in addition to this uh, individual dynamics, uh, could you extrapolate on the larger power play, uh, power greater power politics in the neighborhood, and uh, how is India navigating through it? Sure. So um, the South Asian region or the Indian subcontinent, as we know it, I will call it the Indian subcontinent rather than the Indo-Pacific. But anyways, so the subcontinent region, the Indo-Indo-Indo-Pacific region, I think. the situation has been turbulent out there obviously due to the afghanistan debacle and now things are changing yes the socio economic issues are different but um they might not be much considered in the larger geopolitical context for now they have a very different role in multilateralism and those issues however um i think when it comes to the taliban india's approach has been quite interesting uh we also knew that if you remember the withdrawal times the the americans europeans and even others did not have a good time you know withdrawing and i'm not talking about military people or the army people i'm talking about civilians when it comes to indian civilians there were some issues but the mea handled it quite smoothly and i think the talibani officials kind of cooperated even these days we hear news i think in july or august some news came in that the mea was interested in talks with taliban regarding certain development projects and the talibanis were actually kind of saying you know what please come the indian government can do it and all that so that's afghanistan for us pakistan i mean pakistan is such a if uh, a very interesting country to talk about uh, wherein uh, the turbulence uh, is accounted to the obviously the civilian government and the army so they are a gone case and they are kind of a case which we deserve an, an, another special space on it so i'll not discuss pakistan much but i'll discuss the bbin countries as designated by csdr so bangladesh is interesting yes there are debt issues uh, the rbi governor shaktikanta das has pointed out but um, the development projects which are happening between india and bangladesh are good then the mekong ganga cooperation which is happening between in, india myanmar thailand and other countries that's obviously out there but i think on actis policy uh, the confusion with myanmar is very apparent because of the coup situation and what's exactly happening with the janta in myanmar when it comes to their relationship with china vietnam and india how are they actually thinking through and you know obviously that's a sore issue so yes but we also know that uh, india doesn't obviously criticize myanmar that well it, india focuses on direct aspects like on the russia ukraine thing india was not ideological about it and that's very apparent on sri lanka right like you pointed out i think one thing is that uh, since ranil vikram singh has come back there's one aspect that uh, with the americans obviously it's not that the americans are not involved with the us somehow in certain aspects not directly 
India is trying to ensure that Sri Lanka comes back to the lap of India. But uh, I think uh, it's too far to say right now if uh, Sri Lanka would, <coughs> apologies for the cuffs, you know, leave China's, you know, influence very soon. So let us see. It is a debt-ridden country we are talking about. But yeah, when it comes to small countries like Mauritius and others, it's a very interesting history out there. So there India has actually progressed. Overall, I think on the maritime front, uh, uh, when it comes to these countries, India has tried to build leverage, especially with the Saudis, in the you know, not the Saudis basically, people in Dubai, that is UAE. Then we can also talk about, you know, how they're trying to, you know, use the situation with the Iranis. But let us see. I think we can say that the South Asian region, whatever it is, has been uh, turbulent. But I think as SARC was flawed, and I still don't think SARC is a very useful model of multilateral governance, I think India is the shining light. And countries like Nepal and, you know, even Bhutan might do. But Bhutan is a very unique case, which, you know, is kind of mollygoddling to the Chinese. And the Nepal, the, the Nepalese are, and you know, are in a situation that India and the US are again trying their best. So I think Nepal and Sri Lanka are those countries where India and the US are very much trying to try their best. With Bhutan, obviously, there are relations with the US, but that's a different thing altogether. So I'll just stop here for now. I'll let others also speak. Yeah. Uh, so, Saurabh, we have seen that uh, 2022 was a year where uh, India-US... Uh, relations at the bilateral level kind of saw some kind of uh, calmness at the larger level, leadership level, though the irritants uh, at a certain lower level continue to remain like the domestic political rhetoric from the US, ideological rhetoric, or the visa human resources thing in terms of granting of visas, uh, tourism, etc, etc, or trade dispute make, uh, happening in the uh, WTO, etc. But we did see some kind of stability at the larger structural level between India and US. There seems to be some kind of pragmatism. Uh, I mean, this has existed for a couple of decades, the sense of pragmatism. But 2022 seemed, seemed like um, everyone feared like democratic regime in the US would be more ideological, but that didn't come to be. Joe Biden was also as pragmatic as previous uh, presidents were. So how do you see the bilateral relationships progressing? Uh, hi, Aditya. So, uh, yeah, I would say that I think uh, as of now, we should assume that the India-US relationship is actually on a very, they're actually on a, uh, uh, it's actually on a very firm footing. There is usually like a better understanding bipartisan between, I think, the governments in India and the US. So I think the ideological uh, concerns and some rhetoric from the Congress. I mean, they all are just part of politics. And I don't think we should worry too much uh, about it unless obviously it goes out of hand. Uh, I mean, especially given that, you know, like uh, uh, the fact that Russia-Ukraine war, you know, like that did not actually overshadow the relationship between India and USA. Uh, even during press statements and all, you know, like they were like, uh, so yeah, again, so I, I think that's, that's a good sign. I am now uh, interested to see like in this year, how uh, the India-US relationship evolves, given that 
U.S. is uh, strengthening its alliances with Japan and Australia, and and so I w- I would like to see if there is any similar not pressure but like uh, if there are if the lines are drawn more clearly between let's say China and USA would we be uh, forced to or should we consider you know like also uh, cooperating with the US uh, more openly i mean we 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 do a lot of it but uh, strengthening of quad uh, and uh, aligning with US in other issues so in that way like i would like to see i am i am looking uh, forward to this year being a year where uh, if we see any new e- initiatives uh, between us and india yeah uh, i reckon saurabh you have to leave early so i will lead a next question also with you only so where do you see the given that you work on critical technologies and all especially non defense uh, critical tech how was 2022 for india's critical technology and do you see some kind of uh, breakthrough happening in india's critical tech uh, resilience or like the, its planning for its uh, critical tech uh, future uh i would say that see i think in the last few years especially after the uh doklam and ladakh crisis i mean especially uh, ladakh crisis there is now you know greater acknowledgement that there is a increasing gap between india and china and we need to reduce that gap both in terms of uh, research and development and also uh indigenous capabilities you know to have those uh, industries so there have been many uh, initiatives being taken at least announcements especially like pli uh, and things like that but again i think these things will take some time uh, especially in terms of you know if you talk about emerging technology we are nowhere to be seen in terms of primary r&d so the gap is pretty pretty wide and the amount of uh, focus and investment that 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 we need in primary r&d is uh, is not as much i mean even if you discount for the fact that uh we have limited resources uh, and what not but i do think that uh, we are fo- i mean we are rightly focusing on industry and manufacturing and all of that which is fine but primary research is something that we are not focusing on as much so there are issues regarding funding to you know like fellowships and uh, the, the gap between announcement and action but i guess you know like just being more careful about that just making sure that uh, fellowships are given we have greater cooperation between uh, indian scientists researchers and uh, our our partners there should be or, or at least there could be more cooperation between quad countries right in terms of science and tech so in that i mean at least in terms of investments uh, to tap into latent capabilities i think we should be able to move forward especially let's say the solar photovoltaic cells uh, then uh, semi conductors like uh, i think there have been a few uh, announcements let's see how how that uh, pans out i mean given there are very specific requirements that these industries uh, like need and are 
states willing to you know grant that exemption to them in terms of you know like uninterrupted power and and uh, everything so yeah so yeah that that's that and uh, so i mean again there is a huge gap that needs to be filled and we have to focus a lot more on uh, primary research i would say because unless you fix that you can't really you know uh, develop your own technologies that's yeah so before you leave a short uh, conclusion are you hopeful for india's critical tech future at the moment oh definitely i mean i am hopeful in the sense that i mean we have we have the uh, we have the potential definitely so i am i am not pessimistic in this case but uh, I, i would just say that we there is potential but there needs to be more sustained efforts which i guess again are a factor of being able to you know provide funding where we need provide focus in terms of whole of government approach trying to establish cross linkages between ministries academia and industry if the more we work on in silos the more uh, we like spread thin our limited resources so i am hopeful i think there has been like some programs uh, being implemented uh, so i would look i mean these things would take a bit to to uh, actualize so i'm hopeful uh, yeah uh, thanks saurabh for uh, joining us i know you have to run so i made sure that uh, you have covered whatever points i can ask you in in a short time thanks for joining uh, yeah yeah sorry and i am like uh, it is very nice to like uh, ch- ch- chat chat with you all so i'm sorry to leave early i have to go somewhere so yeah thank you yes so expanding on that krishnan uh, i would like to talk i would like you to speak more on like how was india's defense relationship with countries uh, especially uh, one like the non commercial part to the commercial part like uh, india is also trying to export its uh, domestic de- uh, defense equipments like whatever is manufactured in india mm. and uh, how are our defense capabilities building i mean i know it's a long standing issue of uh, uh one one bank one pension that kind of eats into our capex in defense areas but still i i reckon we are trying to do something we have also uh, implemented a new uh, agnivir uh, scheme for in terms of uh, manpower management so can you highlight uh, on those issues like overall defense capability building krishna um so uh, i think in terms of defense uh, we have largely focused on doubling down on our uh, on our land bot- uh, land based forces so uh, a lot of focus has gone into building those uh, border roads tunnels um you know equipping the forward formations with uh, so these are all the like usually stuff that go under the radar that is not usually seen uh, you know in the headlines of newspapers uh, a lot of lo- new new uh, new rifles uh, new for formations moving forward uh, some of the formations getting pivoted from the uh, pakistan border to the china border uh, and then uh, some kind of like uh, 
how do i put it uh, more focus on filling the capability gaps on the uh, you know land forces uh, but uh, i mean people who know me know that uh, i'm i usually uh, i'm not satisfied with the way defense procurements happen um, this year has been uh, in if you ask me uh, no different uh i think early this early 2022 we saw the signing of uh, the light combat helicopter deal for the first 15 helicopters um that was a kind of like a long pending one it was good to see to kind of come at last because uh, honestly what what was happening at that time was hl was producing without even the iaf ordering it and uh, they were literally uh, loaning it out to the iaf without iaf paying for it so uh, we saw that um i think uh, one of the reasons why we saw a very lull year in terms of uh, uh, defense procurement was uh, the unfortunate uh, uh, death of uh, general rawat the year before i think that put a lot of big ticket procurements into question uh, general chauhan is still uh, kind of finding his foot um but the on the positive side i think we saw uh the first commercial uh, f- like a uh, private sector uh, big ticket deal getting signed uh, f- by bharat forge to armenia on uh, artillery guns and i think there is a most probably it is saudi arabia that is also buying uh, the garuda guns uh, that is honestly a very big deal i think uh, when we look back uh, it might be a small deal right now but when we look back 5 to 6 years from now i think this would be the moment when we say like okay uh, india has really started uh, serious on exporting weaponry because uh, as many of you would know exporting uh, weapons is a uh, bureaucratically a very difficult feat uh, not because like the bureaucrats like to put uh, stuff but there are many other reasons like you would have to bring in export control protocols you will have to ensure the there are enough legality so that uh, your private sector contractor and the foreign uh, country are adhering to it and you have a good grip of what exactly you want to do and everything so uh, i think if if uh, by the signing of these two uh, deals i think uh, it it is kind of a signal that uh, we have uh, uh kind of at least put some rudimentary systems into place uh to enable these kind of uh, foreign uh, military sales so i think that's a good start um what i would like to see is uh the flat footedness in terms of our uh, big ticket procurements like uh, the no nonsense ones both indigenous and foreign imports be fast tracked um the c295 i think uh, that was also uh, big deal um so that's about it uh, i think this was a year where uh, a lot of quieter things happening and uh, on the big ticket stuff we really went slow uh, slower than what i would have preferred uh, but it is a watershed moment for india's private sector defense exports and you are hopeful for 2023 one can always hope <laughs> yeah. I mean uh, to okay, to be okay. to kind of expand on it uh, my my thinking is see uh, Galvan pushed us to do a lot of procurements 
uh, hopefully tawang also pushes us to do something else i think the iaf has definitely uh, the air the uh, kind of the air uh, air uh, air environment scenario uh, in the northeastern region has definitely uh, woken up certain voices i hope uh, woken up certain minds in uh, air headquarters and uh, uh, south block um that is one critical area where uh, we need to fill gaps pretty quickly uh, i really hope we make some decisions on that pretty quick uh, rishab i would like you to talk on this we have seen that uh, in 2022 india continuing its uh, priority to uh, supply vaccine i mean vaccine cooperation especially during the covid in 2022 with the global south we have also seen uh, after ukraine war like uh, under the high energy prices uh, and uh, inflation india cooperating closely with the global south in on fertilizer issues on food security issues uh, even during the climate summit india championed the cause of global south recently we have seen Uh, global south summit india initiating it and uh, we expect 2023 uh, g20 summit in during the summit india to further expand on it so I- india is kind of uh, playing really well into the global south aspect like a uh, special cooperation with the african and latin american countries uh, what do you have to say in article like can you expand on it yeah can you hear me yes yes yeah i mean uh i think one one thing that you have to also um be aware of or at least keep in mind when there there is this lot of rhetoric coming from different places about global south is that it all it is also about positioning yourself uh in a very divided world right uh not just a divided world but but a world that is going through a crisis uh in terms of i mean commodities supply chain issues etc a lot of uh, smaller countries uh, not just in technically in the global south or especially in, in our part of the world but in other parts as well uh, going through debt crisis you know inflation hitting them pretty hard uh, of course uh, it is quite much it is very much related to uh, what is happening with oil prices and food and fertilizer issues and what not so i think even though india might not be uh doing uh, uh, as as uh, others would suggest is raking up these issues on certain pl- is not is not really a, a, a something that needs to be looked down upon uh you can argue that you know you know raising these kind of issues uh, would be i mean how does it serve us and what not but not everything is about you know hard security and what not that or not all forums have exclusively have to discuss only these kind of issues right and let's be honest the pain is real in many parts of the world i mean when if you talk about global south and you know all these kind of after effects or the shocks that we see or the fallout from the russia ukraine war you have you don't have to go very far you have to look at in our own neighborhood right um, i think one probably uh, i won't say an achievement but something to be proud of uh, with regards to indian foreign policy this year is how india stepped up for countries like uh, sri lanka specifically right uh, i mean there was uh, you know i mean of course we always look at it and we always 
weigh the relationship in terms of what it got us and what not why did it not say to the why did it not stop or you know disinvite the uh, chinese surveillance ships and what not but you know things are, are not as simple or, and never are that simple or that you know one time transactional thing in diplomacy in general so the fact that india extended so many uh, lines of credit i mean going into the billions right uh, supplied food and other material etc for uh, you know when when the people really needed it i think that that will not just create goodwill among the people so to speak but it will in you know in some sense uh, uh, also lead to some introspection in colombo and probably in other capitals as well so i think when when we talk about these kind of issues we have to broaden our understanding because i think uh, and i understand where people come from when they say that you know oh by playing this global south and what not narrative or emphasizing on it too much we're missing out what's actually happening or we're kind of sitting out or opting out of power politics that is happening on the high table i don't think that's the case i think what is india is basically trying to do is it's it's trying to set an agenda or at least create an additional agenda where it can probably posture itself uh to or you know to create some sort of a coalition and you know have uh, pressurized certain countries to take certain initiatives i mean this this entire year has been all about you know each country for themselves and we've seen that there is actual fallout i mean even our country for example um i mean remember we've not just uh, cooperated with smaller countries uh, but there have been times where we have for example restricted the export of uh, food grains and what not from our own country which has uh, which did adversely affect some or some other countries right but i i think it's a very important point to make when when for example uh, the ministry of external affairs raises this uh, these points about vaccine maitri for example i think these are very important issues to highlight i mean if we won't highlight then who will right and if you look at it closely i mean of course these uh, especially caribbean island the caribbean nations or you know uh, central american smaller nations island nations specifically uh, they don't come or their uh, appreciation or the goodwill that that has brought us in those those such parts of the world that doesn't reach out or you know trickle down to our discourse but th- these things are still very important because it also you know people keep 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 asking uh, or keep talking about this whole thing that you know what kind of a power would india be right and that always is discussed in context of what is happening within india right but you also have to look at how india is tackling global issues so you can't just judge or talk about what kind of a power in, would india be based on whether it's voting for or against russia or you know some other country in the security council it also matters as to how you you know uh, interact or what kind of issues you want to prioritize in the international order right so i think in that sense uh, that's something to look forward to how much of that will uh, how much of that is actually uh, you know will tangibly bring us results in the immediate sense i don't know and i i i i would i i mean i'm very skeptical that this is something to this is something that india is doing to get something very tangible in the image so this this is not always transactional so to speak but yes when it comes to g20 the agenda setting there uh 
I don't think, for example, if you don't want to make it a peace summit of sort, which I don't think India or many countries uh, want to, unless and until the two sides act- are actually up for it, which by the looks of it, they're not. If you don't want uh, it to be about the Russia-Ukraine war or, you know, anything tangible coming from that, then what else do you talk about? What else is worth highlighting? And I think if you look at it from that perspective, I think what the global south is going through, what the multi multilateral institutions are going through. I mean, that's an important point to raise, right? So, yeah. So, Abhivardhan, what is the joker in the pack in 2023 for India? I mean, yes, G20 will be like the highlight of it, like India will be continued. But what is the surprising element? I mean, I... I, I I am asking this question because a few days we saw a report. We saw multiple reports from Pakistan coming in that Prime Minister Modi was supposed to go for nine days to Pakistan and have a, some kind of a two decades of truce on Kashmir issue. And then uh, we, we we are seeing Chinese diplomats talking about like uh, some kind of peace happening, but again. I don't think any of these are realistic possibilities. They are more like testing the water kind of things. But is there, like in at the larger level, any joker in the pack for Indian foreign policy in this year? So, 2023 is actually that kind of an year because, and it's not just like because of the noise of the G20 events in India, uh, but the larger reason is that India is trying to obviously bolster on certain positions related to reformed multilateralism and obviously the Kashmir issue. So I think uh, the Lok Sabha election might be considered a factor, but you know, again, amidst the noise noise of various G20 events, it's actually kind of collaterally related related to the lineup of the Lok Sabha elections in 2024. So I would not relate to the Lok Sabha elections right now. I would rather rather say that when it comes to reform multilateralism, there have been certain principled understandings that, you know what, India is a country with so many billion people and yet we don't have a seat at the UN Security Council, which is a permanent seat. Things like these have been said. One thing which we can see is how would New Delhi really wish to capitalize on it properly because this year they have a lot of interesting positions in, at hand. Obviously the G20 presidency, then the SEO, heads of state presidency if I'm right. Uh, that's obviously there. Um, there are other avenues also which would be coming in future. So we have to look forward because there are two things. Number one, um, it is said that generally India hypes a lot and this has been a pan-government problem, like a multi-party problem. Whichever party gets a, you know, coalition gets into power, their foreign ministers talk about things. But obviously, our foreign minister currently is very different in his approach. So that is up to him. I think um, he would definitely shape it up. But I think reform multilateralism will guide their development agenda. And I think on the development agenda part, how will India expand its value? Because I'll tell you a very simple example. Uh, Somehow in certain aspects, it is through India that even countries in the West get certain aspects of leverage. It's not like 
the US is getting benefits through India, but it is that actors in the US maybe share insights and interact with our Indian counterparts and that actually helps out. But I think where Indians can do innovation through the government and others, and I think this government is trying to do this year as well, is that on the development agenda, while Western countries are not being trusted by the global south, India actually can be trusted very much largely. Wherein India can obviously take some inspiration and cues from others, but I think it would expand its, I would say, not just influence, but also its value. So I think there we have to see reform multilateralism and development agendas. I would say the politics of development, honestly. Yeah. Rishab, uh, can you kind of uh, expand shortly on those uh, Pakistan, basically territorial issues with China and Pakistan? Like, again, it will be the usual year or like you see anything substantially different, different thing happening? I think it could be both. Uh, it, with regards to China, I think it could be a very important year. There has been some sort of a lull, of course, that is... Uh, Tawang uh, being an exception, but a lot of speculation, uh, there's a lot of speculation about how calculated this move was and what was the objective, so to speak. Now, of course, in India, we are very easy to reach to judgments. I mean, even not even looking at, for example, how the domestic politics are is playing out there right now. But if, for example, there is a willingness, and I'm not sure that there is at the moment, if there is a willingness for that matter in China or in some parts of China, uh, especially within the foreign ministry, right, that there has to be some sort of rep rapprochement. And again, I'm not saying rapprochement in the sense that, you know, in a very grand sort of a way where, oh, you may settle all our disputes and whatnot, but to just scale back tensions or just ensure that these kind of things are, you know, I mean, see, border scuffles are going to happen Anyways, that's a, almost a given. I don't think there is going to be, uh, I mean, there, it, it's, it's, it's very less, I mean, it's not likely that we are going to go without another year where incident like this could, could not happen. They would probably happen. As, and part of the reason why is because India now realizes that it has lost a lot of time. I mean, almost, I mean, decades, for example. And now that it's catching up uh, to China, China, of course, uses the India infrastructure buildup or the speeding of it as a pretext to suggest that India is trying to change the status quo and whatnot. But the fact is that the Chinese would also like to maintain whatever advantage that they have garnered over the years, right? And again, I'm, this is not to say that what India is doing right now is going to uh, you know, narrow the gap so much. But I think it could be a year where China takes it up a notch or it tries to, you know, dial down the things, dial down the things, especially on the border a little bit. Diplomatically, I don't think there is going to be, um, you know, anything which is out of the extraordinary. But again, I mean, I'm not into crystal, you know, gazing into the future that much. A lot can change, a lot can happen. But I think what would be important from India's point of view is how we manage the trade front. Uh, with China, how we manage to, for example, build up. See, I think 2022 and 2023 as well is also going to be a year where a lot of what we do and what we speak and how we act, how we interact with these countries, especially our adversaries, uh, especially an adversary like China, which is, you know, which, I mean, in some sense, we are interdependent. I think it's going to depend on uh, also uh, about our domestic capacities, whether we are able to 
do certain things or at least start such certain initiatives which we have been always you know claiming to do uh so china i mean it's very dicey but i i, I think it 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 can go either way uh, although to to be fair as from whatever i can see or whatever i think uh although there could be some sort of skirmishes etc i think in general a galwan like incident or a very you know serious escalation is unlikely but of course we can never predict these things but on the pakistan front i i think it could be very interesting because there is a lot of churn in domestic politics in pakistan uh there's a lot of uh, you know tutu meme so to speak happening a uh, lot of people said that you know i mean if you follow pakistan politics very closely you'll know that pti is not going away as much as you know people would like to believe it's the military of course is trying its best the establishment is trying its best its best but when it comes to dealing with india i think all political actors are in some sense kind of limited by their own words by their own promises and of course uh, india's unwillingness to give or give some sort of concession although i think one thing that is possible this year with regards to pakistan is that in there is there is a lot of talk that there could be elections in kashmir now if elections in kashmir are actually held and are done in you know some proper way there is broad tacit participation from various parties etc i think it may create or can create a pretext if there is a peace constituency in pakistan which i think that there are certain elements which are favorable to you know if not make peace but at least reach an understanding for a bit with india right uh, mostly on the on 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 the grounds that you know you don't uh, do something to us or don't pressurize us too much and you know we'll try to you know give you some sort of a, you know at least have some you know we'll crack down a bit or at least try to partially roll back the you know streaming in of terrorists and what not so i think there could be some understanding that could be reached there depending on how pakistani politics the churn there goes out and what happens in kashmir but i think from india's point of view a lot of people would argue that there is nothing that india has to do or has to concede at this moment india finds itself in a very good position and why would it want to give pakistan a breather so to speak but i think in the, i mean if you look at it in the context of what our pressures are on the border in the eastern sector in the ladakh sector for example i think most people in new delhi and some people that i know right who 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 talk to you know some 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 people who you know in the government i think there's a, a realization in the government that this government also wants a a quiet loc right at least that is something that they want to aim for so although i don't believe all the recent media reports about nine day visit i mean the indian prime minister visiting nine days uh, to pakistan especially that also going to balochistan i don't buy it uh, i mean i've said this before this was something that was you know put out there to score political points and what not but i do think that uh, india i mean although we or many of us would not like india to concede anything or you know show that it's willing to talk or at least come to the table i think there is a willingness in new delhi to kind of you know make sure that the loc stays uh, uh, cool so to speak and india consolidates further its control in kashmir which it has been doing for for a very long time i mean i'm not defense expert in that sense but i do know that counter insurgency operation in kashmir have become very meticulous they have become very successful uh, in that sense so i think on 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 the i mean that they don't expect anything big 
but i do feel like there could be an escalation in case pakistani army for example under general munir feels that there is some sort of a you know pressure coming up from india or india's unrelenting in its diplomatic pressure and of course is not willing to play ball in negotiation whether it's to do with restoring of diplomatic ties etc but don't expect anything like trade and what i think all that gets thrown around very easily so i think more of the same probably from the looks of it but i do think that there could this could be an important year for pakistani politics because i think there a lot of their public discourse is actually now beginning to challenge certain long held long held assumption about their capabilities and their limitations they're asking about for example how much money should the military be spending right they're asking certain questions so in that sense it's a very important year for pakistan because a lot of the debates that are happening right now can have some limited amount of consequence as to how the future generations to some extent would see uh you know uh, india as i'm not saying again people are going to forget that you know in some sense you know uh, we are enemy or quote unquote adversarial states and what not all i'm saying is that there could be an understanding where a lot of people in the pakistani establishment or even in the political class understand that there has to be some sort of a understanding reach with india for at least some sort of strategic respite of sort right now of course a lot of people would in india would not like that they'll be like you know what this is the time we should go for the kill and what not but again let's be honest that's not as easy as it sounds and you know so i think more of the same in most cases on china again i mean it's anybody's guess but i think india for india one thing is clear india doesn't trust china anymore and we will be uh, doing whatever we can again i know uh, it's not we have not been doing enough but i think india is very clear that china's intentions are now beyond doubt so we are going to have to consolidate our positions as much as we can in all sectors and you know wait for the best so abhishek uh, we are going to see taiwan elections in 2024 we have recent this year see i mean in 2022 seen uh, more of indian diplomats or or i would say indian politicians started speaking of taiwan uh, we have seen sri lankan ambassador also like in th- there was in sri lanka a word of exchange between chinese diplomats and indian diplomats regarding taiwan uh, so th- taiwan and the surrounding region south china sea are we going to see a uh, more clear position from india like as the division between india and china grows um i think uh, india has already expressed its position very clearly and uh, i think we can track this i think to five or six year before where india india's india's defense minister rajnath the defense minister at that time also expressed india's position to resolve the issues without use of force in south china sea the, uh, and this was at the defense minister meeting um, uh, in asean uh, regional forum uh, and uh, this year also uh, the i think indian india's vice president uh, participated in the summit of asean summit and he also reiterated the same thing this year so that is uh, something which india did mention and has continued to re- continue to reiterate it again and again uh, and regarding taiwan um i think india india has not uh, uh, focused much on the strategic or security perspective um i remember a recent uh, interview of uh, uh, foreign minister where he was asked question on taiwan uh, and the uh, the probability or possibility of an attack he kind of 
changed it and answered in with india china relations so that is that also kind of signals that what is the indian thinking that india doesn't want to talk about or focus much on what the possibility of uh, an attack in taiwan straight on conflict there but uh, but what is uh, my concern particularly going forward will be uh, this kind of threshold which which i which i am seeing right now in the indo pacific particularly regarding the international liberal order i think that is something in which india might find it very difficult to kind of navigate uh, not not protecting its national interest that is something i think which india's multi alignment policy has done to considerable extent but particularly kind of elevating our relations uh, um in a kind of uh, uh, holistic manner with other partners and what i mean by this is um, the core principles of this international liberal order that is the multilateralism economic openness democracy all these are like western values and and this is something uh, which uh, india doesn't subscribe fully to um, uh, as uh, for example a country like japan or south korea uh, does uh because of our, our different historical uh, reasons are uh, the colonial legacy of our india and i think th- this might be a factor in which india might find it uh, th- this might be a limiting factor uh, in kind of elevating our relations and we are already seeing this uh, uh, for example in quad like quad is more more so behaving like a, a kind of regulating forum like uh, regulating uh, how to do conduct in cyberspace which is a very good thing i am not against it but uh, but the main focus of quad which was the maritime security has not uh, not kind of um, seen that kind of new developments or anything we are seeing more of non conventional for example on climate change on uh, for example the uh, on illegal fishing and that is also something which india needs to participate in upon Uh, but uh, but i think this factor is um, uh, would dictate india's um, how, to the level of uh, what is the level of cooperation or elevation of our relations with countries both at m- multilateral forums uh, and also in certain extent in uh, for example in bilateral uh, forum bilateral relations between the uh, both countries uh, and that is a concern which i have uh, because uh, because of india's position most often uh, it it kind of project india as a it kind of automatically removes india in certain discussions and we we see these uh, also for example in our relations with eu uh, and if india would uh, if, if there is a chance of india taking a more uh, a position which is more not in alignment with the west but more kind of outright on certain issues i think it would um, make india more attractive um, not for not for western lens but also like in other areas like critical technologies where we see a lot of companies moving uh, like there so so many incentive for these companies to come to india not that there are other incentives uh, there not other incentives but uh, just because of india's uh, position on certain issues it makes it very difficult for these countries uh, for these companies uh, most of companies right now we see going back critical companies are going back to USA and like lots of South Korean companies have recently invested a lot in USA, uh, be it in semiconductors or hybrid electricity vehicles or uh, the uh, batteries. So I think that is something which going forward India need to think about. That it's not just uh, about protecting your um, uh, like positioning yourself as a kind of a third pole, but also the consequences which you will have to deal with 
uh, not in the traditional security sense but also but in the economic sense that is something uh, which is my concern yeah uh, before uh, before going to last two topics of today's session uh, i would like to talk uh, something regarding where does india stand in eurasia especially europe vis-a-vis uh, -vis russia uh while india's legacy with uh, russia continues as a partner i mean it has become more and more transactional that's clear clear clearer by the day uh, still we are sticking on to having our own uh, dynamics with russia because it's kind of a good hedging mechanism and also as we have seen this year during the times of crisis we can get like cheap fertilizer or cheap energy if we need from russia in addition to the defense equipments uh, the critical defense equipments and also europe it was supposed to be a year that was meant to be quite a positive year because of the revitalization of uh, trade talks but again ukraine war has ensured that especially the press coverage of europe uh, uh, with regards to india has been quite negative quite ideological and rightly so it rightly so in the sense that for their from their perspective because ukraine war is uh, closer to their their home so they would have a quite skew, skewed perspective with, with regards to india so i can understand where they come from but i do think uh, this will hold only for short term the european relationship with india in the longer term uh, will be quite positive especially france i mean france has been a long time uh, uh, friend of india and there is no two ways about it i think germany is also quite gradually re realizing india's importance and i think 2023 and 2024 will be the years where uh, europe will mellow down on its ukraine rhetoric and uh, realize india's worth and uh, india is quite essential Uh, for europe to diversify their own economic supply chains we are seeing uh, quite a sore point we are seeing quite a uh, big problems between us and uh, europe economic relationship especially with regards to uh, the inflation inflation reduction act in us by the biden administration and the subsidies it's providing to all the uh, renewable energy industry and uh, uh, A, a, a semiconductor industry etc etc and that's a big political point in europe today so india is quite essential for europe's needs in the future uh, i mean i wanted to talk about europe because we have missed europe in this discussion uh, before going to krishnan as a final question abhivardhan i would like to expand you on the west asia part basic, uh, basically where, where does india stand in uh, west asia and we have also seen that uh, the islamic uh, uh, countries have quite detached themselves from india pakistan hyphenation of india and pakistan which is quite positive for india but beyond that uh, like in general i see quite a positive develop so many positive developments for india in the west asia uh i to you to it beat maybe i to you to or like just the normal course of relations with iran perhaps turkey is the only sore point can you talk on it abhirudan so i'll just be quick because we have to cover certain other topics um but i'll also little bit talk about europe so when it comes to europe and russia yes uh, europe's understanding has been skewed but 
and even you know european union officials have accused the us of profiting from the ukraine war so that is another irony of its own sorts but let's leave that situation aside i think uh, the maturity will come back but the only problem is that the americans despite their you know the, when we talk about american think tanks and american non state actors from a peace concept which is to say people like civil society common people okay companies all those sorts of people they might have skewed approaches on india but the us approach on india is not limited to you know uh, defense and security agendas right it's also about the development agenda so uh, europe and the european audience and including nearly all the western audiences they have to mature on their understanding of india they will mature any time soon but uh, in how much time it will take at least maybe a decade when it comes to audience when it comes to governments the maturity exists especially governments in scandinavia doing it so we are seeing that now let me get to west asia right away um with west asia what happens is that uh, they are also entering into development politics so what's happening is that saudi arabia uae israel these are investing into technologies and when i say technologies i mean technologies in the context of soft power which is your digital technologies you know um r&d obviously is, is a case when it comes to i2 u2 and other groupings but uh, the way saudi arabia is doing it with neom and other projects that's very interesting to see let's see how that grows and i think india's cooperation and partnership with countries like israel and others will actually be very impactful uh, not just because you know uh, these countries have stopped being critical of india and have taken a mature approach but simply because uh, these countries are pursuing a development agenda they they want to dehyphenate it they want to ensure that the ideological uh, and identity based fault lines which were created in the cold war era they must be done away with and this is a fact which majorly every country uh, which is a you know, middle power would agree with or a power which wishes to emerge even to an extent i don't know i'm just speculating maybe even japan might think about it i don't know i'm not sure about it maybe i'm not sure about it although they are very much concerned with the us in certain aspects but i think even even may japan also think about it but i'm not sure so the same is for west asia i think it's more centralized to two countries in a sense as to how they develop and the third pole which is turkey iran we are hearing the news that the saudis and the iranis might actually talk, you know think about some rapprochement although this is not imminent to happen or something like that so let's see but uh, yes the approach has become creative and that is something which we should observe and i think that itself is much way much deserving it's a breakthrough because west asia was critical for india's ascent as a power now west asia is with us in a certain aspect and i think with turkey we have to see the events in 2023 between greece and turkey as a very important treaties 100 year uh, timeline is going to end so let us see what happens with turkey i mean yes turkey will be critical turkey will play some haywire but does turkey have the you know weight to punch or something like that they do have the potential I'm not sure about it they are a country which also wants some somewhere or the around you know rapprochement or not rapprochement but like at, at least uh, trying to engage with the saudis and the israelis indirectly which is very shocking like erdogan kind of tried to say that if not with the israelis at least with the saudis there he is trying to pretend so let us see how it goes with turkey it's too too late to say right now 
so yeah i'll be I, i'm done with west asia yeah. yeah so let's end with krishnan today krishnan uh, i mean all the things you have discussed until now like the hope for india or like lack of hope whatever like basically i say mostly we are talking in terms of india's trajectory being in the more of a net positive side despite certain limitations but i guess that is contingent upon the fact that india lives up to its economic potential while it, it can do a lot on the domestic front economically but uh, externally uh, we have to get through some of the those crucial trade agreements get through supply chains semiconductor work uh, in general the business aspects of the global business uh, relations so uh, do you see 2023 being a quite a hopeful year for india's trade agreements trade relations uh, foreign uh, investment relations in general r&d collaborations uh, including subcha- supply chain resilience especially in semiconductor and critical tech i guess you followed these issues quite closely so i would like to end this session on those aspects yeah uh, so i think 2023 will be uh... either at the same pace as 2022 because 2022 was in some ways good in terms of uh, investment treaties and trade deals uh, hopefully we could uh, complete the uk trade deal uh, pretty soon um, and then uh, we also have i think a couple of others lined up uh, probably we would be seeing i2u2 also get solidified um in terms of uh, high tech areas uh, semiconductor is an area where uh, we have floundered honestly because uh, when the pli scheme was announced i think we were all expecting it to be uh, like uh, the government was on a mission mode we expected uh, evaluation of the applications and uh, uh, you know licensing out of the pli approvals by june or july it's been uh, 2023 january and we haven't seen anything uh, actually not june or july last march so we are already late by 9 to 10 months uh, hopefully we should see something by uh, this year um i think this is also the year we will begin to get clarity on uh, what our pli schemes do mean to us uh, in terms of the next steps to be taken so i i'm pretty sure uh, the government is already looking forward but apart from that um, it is really important that uh, what we have done as first steps are only first steps and we have like the next 8 to 9 steps to go um, thankfully for us uh, mercantilism is back globalization is almost dead in some ways that is good uh, we don't have to pretend to be globalized uh we 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 can do in terms of eco- economic terms what we wanted to do without uh, apologizing for it um but there are challenges in terms of access to high tech sectors uh just like uh, the chips act of the usa uh, the, the chips for alliance has created uh, uh, walls in my opinion um the chips for alliance is probably uh, the 21st century equivalent of the non proliferation treaty of the 1960s and 70s um, we need to be 
really uh, play this smart as since this is still playing out uh, but uh, it has the potential impact to kind of keep us in the have nots and just as consumers uh, than uh, you know be part of the haves world somehow so <laughs> maybe we do uh, we do require some really fast uh, mission uh, focused work um in terms of uh, uh, you know economic cooperation i think we will continue to do what we have done um we are doing the right thing fighting for inflation fighting for uh, food security uh, which has been the primary focus of all or many of the uh, you know poor and uh, developing countries uh, i would in fact have to probably we have to wait just for a couple of more weeks uh, during republic day hopefully uh, what uh, we sign with uh, uh, you know general cc in president cc in of egypt uh, i think that could kind of show us the direction that uh, india wants to take into this year um you know uh, we have a lot to ask from the from the uh, developed world uh, we have to uh, probably beyond food and uh, uh, energy we we need something to you know give also to both the developed and developing world to increase our cooperation thanks krishnan for summing it up just to add i am also quite hopeful about uh, india doubling down on its economic relations with latin america that is one area where it, uh, let's covered and i think we are gradually slowly like uh, uh, our foreign minister also made few trips to latin america this year so i think that is one positive area Uh, so that is all uh, people they, i mean it's a big uh, topic like we have uh, considered a very generic topic but uh, given that it's a india based platform and uh, 2022 we have recently we were just done with the 2022 so we tried to sum up the whole indian foreign policy which is impossible task but we tried to talk a little bit on all the major issues where, uh, and i hope uh, we covered it whatever we can in the sense we had lot of speakers today and thanks everyone krishna news finance trisha uh, uh, abhishek uh, 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 again everyone thank you everyone for joining <laughs> yeah. up abhivardhan uh, i hope next time we don't take such a generic topic this was a very long session more uh, longer than usual but thanks everyone for your patience and thank you listeners abhivardhan on a end note can you inform the listeners where they can access uh, this podcast so um, people can actually go to the bharatpacific.com which is bharatpacific.com and listen to all our episodes we have also uploaded the recent one which is roundup 9 on south korea indo pacific strategy um, they can also go to anchor.fm/indopacific they can uh, even type the bharat pacific and they'll get the podcast details they can also go to spotify spotify and type the bharat pacific they'll get the podcast right away to here um so yeah thank you krishnan once again joining and cr- thanks all the other uh, speakers for joining us uh, once again happy new year everyone happy sankranti it's makar sankranti season happy pongal krishnan uh, thanks thank you 
and happy sankranti and happy new year to you all <laughs>